The Think Neuro podcast from Pacific Neuroscience Institute takes you into the clinic, operating room, and laboratory with doctors and surgeons who are tackling the most challenging brain diseases and disorders. Hi, my name is Anthony Effinger, and I'm your host. Judy Davidson is a retired teacher, librarian, and therapist. A few years ago, she began to feel more forgetful. Names of movies she'd just seen escaped her. She became quieter in groups, afraid that she would forget a friend's name. She recalled her mother's struggle with Alzheimer's. Her grandmother had suffered dementia too. Seeing a bleak future, she took action. She read a book called The End of Alzheimer's by Dr. Dale Bredesen, which recommends a routine of diet, exercise, and sleep to keep the brain healthy as we age. That in turn led her to Molly Raposo, a dietitian and brain health coach at Pacific Neuroscience Institute. She helped put Bredesen's prescriptions into practice. Now under Raposo's care, Davidson exercises regularly, eats fewer carbohydrates, and prioritizes sleep. The results thrill her. A computer-based program shows that her brain function has improved by 22%. She can recall names of friends and movies more quickly. Best of all, she feels like she has a future. Listen to this episode of Think Neuro to hear Judy Davidson and Molly Raposo talk about strategies for beating the odds on Alzheimer's. Judy, why don't we start with you? Tell us what got you launched on this journey into brain health as you aged. Well, I have to say that, you know, for years, it was in the background for me because my grandmother had dementia, which they didn't call Alzheimer's in those days. And then my mother had concerns about her brain health. And I wasn't even that aware of my mother's issues, actually, for a very long time until my father got very sick. And then uh, consequently, he died in 2008. And then we started to see a rapid decline in my mother's brain health. And I was very instrumental in, in her care, managing her caregiver. She ended up needing 24-7 care. She uh, you know, was managing her household and finances and everything like that. And, and of course, seeing her. And so I saw this, this process of her decline up close and personal. And um, then I started, you know, worrying about my own, you know, memory. And I did see my memory start to decline. Uh, you know, I read a book one time about an author who got Alzheimer's. And what happens is, you know, in the beginning, you start seeing little declines in your memory and you, you know, you don't think that much about it. You know, it's sort of like you, it's in the background. You're, you're kind of in a state of denial. And then it's, as it develops, I'm talking now for myself, um, you find a lot of strategies to hide uh, this decline because it's frightening and um, it's scary. Uh, it's like you, and it's embarrassing. So the things that started happening to me, like I started getting more and more quiet in groups of people because I was afraid of you know, not being able to remember someone's name or you know movie, the name of the movie, or um, you know, you know, get stuck in the middle of a sentence or something like that, and embarrassing myself. And so you, you know, you want to hide it. At least I did from. Um, you know, people, because, you know, it's, 
you don't want to show that weakness. And, 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 and also that I'm kind of in a state of denial. So you get really good at hiding it from yourself, at least I did, from myself and from others. So then uh, when I saw what was happening with my mother, and I, then I started looking into my future. I'm, I'm 73 years old now. And it's like, I see, is this what's going to happen to me when I get older? And that's even more frightening. And especially when there, there was no, nothing on the horizon that said there was any cure for Alzheimer's. So I was feeling very hopeless, you know, because I'm not, I'm not ready to die. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I feel like I have a, a full life still ahead of me. And I want to sure, have yeah. my, my health, brain health. You know, I want to have my cognitive abilities. So um, that's, I think, at the point where I became more willing and open to take taking some action, if there was any action, um, to do something about it. And what was your first step? Well, first I had to find out that there was an, an answer. You know, because we had always heard there's no cure for Alzheimer's, there's no cure for Alzheimer's. But what I in night, I think it was uh, when I was 70 years old in 19 uh, in 2018, I was sitting next to uh, someone in my writing class. I was taking a um, memoir writing class and I had written something about my fear about my mother's decline and my fear of what was happening to me. And she just turned to me at the break and said, have you heard about the book called The End of Alzheimer's? And I said, no. And so she said, well, you might be interested in it. And so this is the first that I heard, even the news, you know, that there may, there may be a, a, a cure, there may be some help for someone who's going through this process. And so that's when I, I picked up the book and I read it and I listened to it on tape in my car. And then I read it again and I took detailed notes you know, because this was news. This was big news to me. That there was something you could do. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that led you to Pacific Neuroscience Institute through a referral to a, to a specialist. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. And that's how you met Molly. Yeah. Then Dr. Merrill was the referral. Uh, he's a psychiatrist who works at the Pacific Brain Center in Santa Monica. And then he suggested Molly at the time I was very fortunate because this Molly, you can correct me about this, but uh, the way I understood it is that they had some money, some grant money so that they were able to. Um, and I was one of the first in their program. Uh, they were able to refer her to me and, and I didn't have to pay for it. It was all paid for by the, the, uh, the grant. So that was really a gift to me. Molly was a gift to me. So when you you arrive at in into uh, at PNI with Dr. Merrill and Molly, equipped with what you had you had some blood tests, you had some assessments by then, or no? No, I hadn't had the assessments. I had uh, my twenty three and Me genealogy, which told me I had one of the alleles for Alzheimer's. And I had started, you know, because we had all, you know, everyone hears of brain games. So I had, I was starting to do brain games on the computer. Um, and it was really interesting that I found it really interesting because 
they tell you exactly where your brain is weak in its functioning. And so uh, I found out that that one of the places that I was having trouble is brain processing, processing information in my brain was slowed. It was, you know, slowed down. And they t- they'll tell you on this, you know, website, what percentage you're in for people your age, you know, how, where you um, measure up, so to speak, as far as other people your age, as far as brain processing. So you can see exactly in what areas your weaknesses are. And this was fascinating to me. I don't think I would have been open to it unless I had this information that there was actually something I could do about it. Otherwise, it would just have been too depressing. Sure, sure. So, Molly, when when Judy came, when she arrived in your practice, what what was what what did you see? Yeah, so I start with the blood markers is is the one of my first steps and also a really in-depth um, chat. So we probably spoke for at least 45 minutes the first time. And what I do is I go through these different areas that we know has a big impact on your brain health. So that would be sleep, stress management, social engagement, exercise, cognitive training, and diet. So that along with looking at the blood markers. um, So there's some pretty obvious things that can be hard on our brains. Um, Anything, well, high lipids. So that's something, anything that's good for your heart is also good for your brain. So controlling your lipids, controlling blood sugar, those are are two big ones, Um, blood pressure, all those pieces. So it's really a combination of getting a lot of good historical information um, about the person as well as looking at current labs is the beginning point. Okay. And what did you two sort of determine and feel free either of you to answer this, but where, where were you, Judy, sort of in terms of habit, good habits, bad habits at the beginning of this? When it comes to nutrition, you know, I had, I have struggled with my diet my whole life. So I knew a lot about diet, but, um, you know, what was being recommended by Bredesen is this, it's a modified keto, it's called Keto Flex program. So that was a new new idea for me. And that isn't the way I was eating. And that involves the um, intermittent fasting. So that was a big thing that Molly and I worked on because Molly, you know, knew a lot about this. She helped me to figure out the food and how to eat. But a big thing was, um, you know, uh, you, d- you eat at least three, uh, uh, um, at least three hours before you go to bed at night, there has to be three hours between when your last meal is and you go to bed at night, and then the next morning, so at least 12, and or to 14 hours with my um, genetic history, I think it was more hours even to leave before between your last meal at night and when you eat your first meal in the morning. So I was used to getting up and eating breakfast right away in the morning uh, with with the keto flex plan. I, I had to wait to, let's say, depending on when I ate my last meal, like 10 in the morning or 11 in the morning before, or even 12 sometimes before I ate my first before I ate breakfast. Now, that was contrary to the way I was always taught. You know, breakfast is the most. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was new. And Molly helped me with that. That so, was one of the things. What's the, what's the science behind that? Why, 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 why go that route? Yeah. And I do want to back up a little bit and say that, yes, um, 
Keto is sometimes recommended, but I find most of the people I work with fall within more of a low carb diet and then giving your body that overnight fast. So that could be anywhere from 12 hours to some people do as much as 16. Um, There's a lot of good science around like 13 hours. We know that there are health benefits there. Um, So the thought process is if you let your body rest and restore at night, that a lot of cleanup can happen in terms of your brain. So that's what we want to see things like um, when you are, if you eat right before bed, then you're taking this time digesting and um, you can't have all the benefits that you could if you weren't, is basically if you, we're if going you, there. You don't get the benefits of sleep because your body's digesting, is that... It's not just that. It's actually, we know that um, things like insulin could be used in other ways at night for kind of a brain cleanup. We could be working on amyloid plaques or just regeneration in general. So basically, there are lots of cells in your system that could be um, gone away with so you could actually grow new cells. This is not a very scientific approach to explaining it. Um, So it's not only that eating and drinking right before bed could get in the way of your sleep. um, It also can result in higher blood pressure and um, higher blood sugars and all sorts of issues. But it's also that your body can actually do some cleanup work at night that can help your your brain. And uh, we're thinking even longevity in a lot of ways. Okay. So there's, I should start a list of habits I need to change because my wife and I talk about how we eat too late every night. Um, that's a problem for most people I work that's with. That's <laughs> got to change. We joke that we're like European, but I think maybe it's time to, you know, put the work away sooner and, and get to work. Does that, does that regimen have anything to do with um, decreasing inflammation? Or no, or, or I think of keto and I think a lot of people, aren't they trying to avoid inflammation or am I on the wrong track? There? Well, inflammation is a big part of chronic disease. So absolutely, um, that could be part of it. And, and Judy, it sounds to me like you had enough data to, to know down to sort of the number of hours you should fast um, for your situation. Is, is that right? Was it that dialed in? You know, there was some information now, I can't remember actually, uh, where I found that, whether it was in Bredesen or through Molly, but they were saying with, depending on what your, you know, your genetic history is and how high the risk is that you may have to do a more extreme fast. That's fascinating that we've got that sort of level of, you know, kind of granularity. I think this is still being studied. I mean, Dr. Dale Bredesen is a proponent of this. And basically the thought of what I think is behind that is the longer you um, fast for, the more likely it is that your body is going to move into ketosis. And that's what they're aiming for to support brain health. So do we have a lot of science behind that. I mean, we have some, that's what is being studied. And we're hoping that that will be a breakthrough piece of this. Uh, But I can tell you that if looking at all my clients, if they were to measure ketones, I would say most of them are not in ketosis because it is quite challenging to follow that style of eating. 
it's I, it's very yes. restrictive. But I do see people that get great benefits from a reduction of refined carbohydrates and from having an overnight fast. So I think that that can be really doable and helpful for a lot of people. For people who don't know, ketosis is when you're no longer burning sugars, you're burning fats in your exactly. body. Exactly. Yes. Okay. okay. And because as we age, we have a harder time um, managing our blood sugar and getting that fuel that we need into our brains. The research now is that some of the research is around, can there be a benefit if people can run off of fats instead of carbs? And of course, that combination might be good that our brains, that we could do either. Because I think historically, we probably did have times of fast, right? Where we did run off of fats instead of carbs. So I think there's a lot to come here. It, I wouldn't say it's all decided yet. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So Judy, what other things did you begin to do when you began to pay attention to, to your brain health this way? Uh, well, uh, as Molly said too, you know, the sleep was a big factor. So I had a, I had a, I had actually had before a, a you know, a sleep test, sleep apnea test. But that was years ago, so we redid it, um, and it showed that I had no sleep apnea. So that was a very good thing. Um, so that was, uh, but I, then I did all these things that we talked about earlier about, um, you know, how to in, in, improve my sleep, and and uh, you know, my uh, whole my functional medicine doctor was telling me she wanted me in bed by ten o'clock at night. That was very hard for me to do because me and my uh, life partner, Steve, you know, he's really a night owl, even more than me, you know, so um, I'm still working on that. You know, I try to get to bed now before 11, which is sometimes hard for me. Um, but so and then uh, a weighted blanket, which is something that's really been helpful to me. Um, I've, it's 11 pound weighted blanket. I think I got it on Amazon or something. Um, and, um, it just helps me sleep through the night more. You know, I've heard great things about, about those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um yeah. Don't tell the kids, but uh, we're getting them those for Christmas this year. And now a message from our sponsor. The Think Neuro Podcast is brought to you by Pacific Neuroscience Institute Foundation, a nonprofit 501c3 organization. If you're inspired by what you hear and wish to support our mission of education through innovation, please visit pacificneuro.org slash foundation. Um, and when we were talking before the show, you mentioned some glasses that filter out blue light. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Tell us about those. Okay. Those all, uh, originally I bought a pair on, on Amazon. They're very inexpensive, like under $20. And they were like amber colored. Um, I think I have them right here in my desk, but um, they're amber colored and you put them over. If you wear glasses, you put them over your glasses. If you don't wear glasses, you just put them on. And then I was just wearing those two or three hours before bed, uh, especially watching television or if you're on the computer to that's where the blue light comes in really, you know, mostly. Yeah. And um, it, it, it reduces that it helps to develop the melatonin in your eyes, you know, and naturally in your body. 
So um, I started out there and that was working pretty good. But then just recently I got my regular glasses with blue blocking light in them and uh, lenses, I should say blue blocking lenses. And so I wear them very easily at night, you know, especially because I need them anyway to watch TV for the distance. And, um, and since I've been doing that, these work even better for me. And it's like, I almost have no problem falling asleep at night when I get into bed. And that was a big problem for me, you know, chronically sort of a lot of my life having trouble wow. falling asleep, you know? And, so that, and that's amazing. Yeah. Well, so all the research shows that we ignore sleep at our peril and that we should be doing everything we can to get more of it. Is, is that right, Molly? Absolutely. Um, there are people that believe that they don't need that much sleep, but scientifically, we know that that's not true. And uh, the majority of people, like 99.9 kind of percentage, need seven to nine hours of sleep a night. And some of the things that help a lot, like Judy mentioned, oh, my doctor wants me in bed by 10, is to have a regular schedule. Uh, and another thing that we talk a lot about is not doing food or drink for a few hours before you go to bed. So those are some big things, as well as getting outside during the day, getting daylight and exercise. So it's not just what you do at night that really impacts the sleep you can get. And again, sleep is when we we're pretty sure now that that's when our bodies clear some of these plaques that might cause Alzheimer's, right? Right. Uh, and that is just one of the things that happens at night. I think there's still a lot to learn about sleep, um, but it does lots of great things for our bodies. People that don't get much sleep tend to have trouble managing blood sugar. They tend to have higher blood pressure. There's just all kinds of problems. It's it, uh, so much of this in so many of our podcasts with PNI comes down. It comes down to sleep and exercise and diet. Those three things. It's it's. I mean, you can't say them. You can't say them enough, right? They're big, <laughs> and I think there are also a few categories that no one's doing perfectly. You know, we have a lot going on in life, so I think. Choosing one of these areas to tackle and then coming up with a plan of what you're going to do to get there, uh, taking those small steps that are doable is a way to really improve in these areas. Well, I, I, I'm here to tell you, I'm doing better on the sleep front than I am on the eating late front. Um, it's taken me more than 50 years, but I figured out that I need to go to bed by about 10. And that's progress for me. So I, I'm <laughs> good for I'm you. Doing, that's I'm a good place to there. start. <laughs> yeah. So, so Judy, tell us about your progress through this. Uh, once I started the Bredesen program, that would be after I had my first blood test. And then we didn't really talk about the supplements. So based on the, uh, the blood tests, there were certain supplements that were recommended. And um, so I worked with my functional medicine doctor, along with Dr. Uh, Merrill, and uh, they came up with a plan. I was already taking a lot of supplements. Um, so they, they added to it that for specifically for certain areas, because uh, the tests show exactly, there's like, I think it's 32 factors that they, that Bredesen says, it may be more now, that can contribute, can contribute to someone's cognitive decline. So by taking the blood test, you find out, oh, exactly which are the factors that are contributing to my particular decline. 
So then I started taking more supplements that were right um, that were recommended in this recode report. Um, and I started, I was doing the brain exercises as we talked about, and we um, exercise, I was getting more exercise and it. I was asked to do more uh, like aerobic exercise or exercises that would raise my heart rate. I do, ex I was pretty good at exercising my whole life, but I've always been told you need to get into more that higher range of aerobics, you know, and really get your heart moving. So I started doing that and I did some weight training for muscle, you know, strength. And, um, and I started those things. I'm trying to think of what else was the brain games, which the brain games, as I continued doing it, then I could see my progress in different areas. And that was also for me a motivator to keep me going. So I saw myself improving and then I go, oh, this is great, you know. And, and I, I just have to say that, um, and it wasn't, it didn't take that long for me. Like within a month or two, I started seeing improvements. And one big thing that I remember is I was speaking with Steve, my partner, and we were reminiscing about this, these people we visited at a, a part, their apartment house in Hollywood. And this had been, you know, several years earlier, maybe five years or seven years earlier. And I saw my brain like reach into its storehouse of memories and pull that memory out. And I ha had a picture of the apartment house where we went with these people that we don't see anymore. You know, they're not in our lives. So it wasn't like, and it was like such a clear uh, experience for me that, oh my God, my memory is working. Whereas before I was having trouble, like if I saw a movie, even that I really liked, and I went to tell my friend the next day about the movie, I couldn't remember the name of the movie or what happened in the movie from the night before. It had gotten that bad for me. So this was such a clear example. But And also I had trouble remembering names and you know a lot of things that are very common for people. And um, I saw the improvement in that where I started remembering names. And, and so this is like now, what is this, uh, two years later? And it's, it's, it's continuing, you know? I, I mean, I, I see sometimes I slip back a little bit, you know, maybe I, I drop something out of my program or whatever, I get back on it. Um, but I see the memories is, you know, I, I can rely on my memory again. I can't tell you what a big thing that is uh, for me because I was feeling so hopeless before I found this solution about my future. And now I, I, yeah, yeah. I can, I can function. I, I don't, I, you know, I, I mentioned, I, I don't know if I mentioned here, but I mentioned to you earlier that I was in a writing, I'm in a writing class or I was in a writing class for um, memoir writing. And it was getting to the point where it was getting really hard for me to organize my thoughts in, um, in a story that was a somewhat complicated story um, that I was writing. Or when I was in my writing class, what we do is people read these stories that are like four type pages. And then the other members of the class give feedback to them on their writing. Well, I couldn't follow the storyline from the beginning of the story to the end 
in order to make any kind of cogent uh, uh, remarks on the person's writing or give them feedback. And, and, and so like, that's what I'm saying. It's all different now. I, I've gone back to the writing. I can write. I wrote, wrote this story about my experience with Alzheimer's that um, I know you read. I, I, I've, I told you earlier that I'm really excited about sharing this with other people because I think it's so important and it, it has such a, uh, the, the, you know, a possibility of changing people's lives you know, profoundly. And after seeing what my mother went through, you know, I just know how if you have this in your family or you are dealing with this, it's it's such a devastating thing for people to deal with. One thing that just crossed my mind for a question for both of you, is there any element of um, a mindfulness or meditation practice in any of your the therapies you've personally pursued or you've heard about people pursuing? Absolutely. Uh, That's definitely falls under the stress management um, part of all this. So that's something I recommend regularly to people. I also find that, and this is something that I've heard in just being interested in brain health and listening to lots of doctors in this field, is that people that can live in the moment certainly deal with Alzheimer's disease much better because um, it is something that can really bring you down. And if you live in a state of fear or sadness over it, it's going to be really hard to work on changing all these behaviors. And one thing I really enjoy about working with people is I find that they do become so positive and hopeful when they find that some of these strategies are really making a difference for their daily lives. Interesting. Judy, what about you? Did did meditation or mindfulness, has that been a part of your practice? Well, yeah. I mean, I... I studied meditation and did meditation from in my twenties. I didn't do it consistently, but on and off throughout my life. Uh, recently, I've been more involved with something called Jigong, which is a, a form of, you know, exercise, not unlike Tai Chi, but it does help to, for me, elevate the mood. It's a very mindfulness kind of thing. Slows me down. It's very relaxing. There's a lot of deep breathing in it. And, uh, it, you know what, it really did help with my sleep. I found something on the internet and it was specific. Well, it wasn't specifically for sleep, but they had a morning routine and a nighttime routine, like 20 minutes. And when I started doing that regularly and 20 minutes before I went to bed, I started sleeping so much better. It was so great for my sleep. And I could recommend the, the name of the person I found online, but I don't know if that's appropriate for me to do here. Yeah, well, um, uh, go ahead. Just tell us and we can decide. <laughs> it's, his name is Lee Holden, H-O-L-D-E-N. Okay. And, um, a lot, and these exercises I'm talking about that are 20 minutes uh, are free. You can get them online on YouTube. Great. Free. And there's also uh, one I've been doing for my heart because I mentioned I was having some problems with heart palpitations and there's one that's specifically for the heart um and then of course he has more programs that you can buy and he lives in santa cruz he does he's low you know in california but um i've done a lot of his free things online yeah wonderful qigong is definitely on on the list for me uh going forward i've I've heard nothing but good things 
Yeah. Um, Molly, what, how typical is Judy's experience with these uh, protocols and practices? Do you see this kind of improvement often? I can't speak to the actual improvements in terms of subjective um, factors, right? Because Judy says she really noticed a change in her memory. Um, what I can speak to is I see better blood markers. I see um, more just happiness in people's lives. Absolutely. Um I find that when people work on something, if there's one aspect of their lives that's a struggle, uh, that that can be improved. So I just find that to be really hopeful. Uh, an example is there was someone in the COCO study who would go in for the um, testing and we get really frustrated when she wasn't able to remember, you know, there's like these 10 items It's one of the tests that they, that need to be remembered. And so she really worked on that. That's that cognitive training piece. And she was able to improve on the tests. So I really like to share that with people that your brain isn't this declining thing that you can't get it back. It's really something that if you want to work on an area of your cognition, and that might be exercise might be what is helpful to you or sleep or diet or really doing some training with it, that you can have improvement. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, the, the, I guess it's part of that's neuroplasticity, right. And how it, it stays with us even into old age. Absolutely. Yeah. We can always better ourselves. And the earlier we start, we can see more dramatic improvements, but it's not something that we ever have to lose hope about and not try. I think it's something, what I've seen is great improvements in people at, at all ages. Well, I just wanted to mention that, you know, Molly was sort of instrumental in that with me because I was doing those brain training things I've been talking about. And, um, you know, they're like me, I am like, I'm sure a lot of people are, you know, I tend to be a perfectionist. I want to, I want to win. I want to be good at it. I don't want to fail at something, you know? So a lot of people like those brain games are, it can be intimidating because you can see, Oh, you know, I can't do this. I can't do that. And it's, and I was, you know, talking to Molly about that. And she said to me, Judy, it, you know, you're not trying to get a perfect score. It's like, not about getting an A, you know, it's about, um, you know, the more you, it's like a muscle you practice and the more you use that muscle, it gets stronger. And she was mentioning the neuroplasticity to me. And so it's about, you know, improving. It's about seeing where you're, you know, your um, weaknesses are in your brain and then using that muscle, uh, that part of your brain to get better. So that's the goal. It's not like get a hundred percent. Right. The, the, the motivation probably helps. <laughs> well, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about this. I, I got to say, as somebody who, you know, podcasts about Alzheimer's, um, you know, fairly often, like there's not a ton of good news out there. And this is good news. I mean, this is unalloyed good news. There are things you can do. Um, there's a strategy and, and it's available and, and anybody can start doing it really. Right. Um, absolutely. So, um, keep up the good work. 
And um, maybe we'll have you on again in a year and uh, we'll learn some more. Okay. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today on the Think Neuro podcast. Join us every month for a new episode and learn how some of the best minds in medicine are caring for the most complex structures in the human body. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe to it and please share it with a friend and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for joining us.